0: My name is Tyler Johnson, and I am one of the pastors here at Redemption. Great to have you with us. We are beginning our Summer in the Psalms series. There are 150 Psalms in the book of Psalms. We have 12 weeks, we will not cover 150 Psalms. So these are selected Psalms today, Psalm 1, next week, Psalm 51, the following week, Psalm 13. Every time we study a book of the Bible, which is what we do most of the time at Redemption Church, I want you to know that there is incredible power in sitting in a congregation with a congregation of people to hear and receive the word. But it also has more power if you invest in that series, study that book reflect upon the text that the message was spoken of. One way I encourage you to do that through the book of Psalms is with a new devotional that came out by Tim and Kathy Keller called The Songs of Jesus. It's a year devotional. So if you are really, really type A and you have a really hard time with it being July or June, I guess is what it is, with it being June and opening up to Psalm 1 and it's January, you can either turn to the date that this is, or just stop being so neurotic and ignore January 1st, but really encourage you to do this. There's a great, simple, few-page introduction on the Psalms, and it helps you get into it. Let me tell you why else this is so important beyond our series. The book of Psalms is the most quoted book of the Bible by Jesus. That's a pretty interesting Uh, The most quoted book of the Bible by Jesus, both Jews and Christians alike believe it's the centerpiece to individual and corporate worship, is Jews and Christians throughout the ages have memorized the Psalms and very much believe they give such an accurate portrayal of life with God in the real world, of life with God in the real world, that they memorize them and make them central to their faith ...and to their worship. So this is worth our time. Today's psalm, Psalm chapter 1, speaks a lot about sitting, about walking, and about standing. So under that notion, I want to stand right now and read Psalm 1. And as we do, go ahead and stand. As we do, realize in the history of the church... People take the Word of God so seriously that when the Word of God is read, which the Apostle Paul tells Timothy to commit himself to the public reading of Scripture, they really believe the words were so powerful that they weren't just words, but these were the words of God coming over the people. Psalm chapter 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Take a seat and pray. Father, we um, love your word. You tell us that your word will not return void, but that you will do all that you have purposed for it. God, you have a huge cosmic purpose for your word. But you have a purpose for this congregation, for us at Redemption Gilbert. And you have a purpose for us as individuals. And we trust that you will speak to us uh, through your word, your loving and powerful living word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We live in a world that is tired, a world that's empty, discouraged, confused, and scared. Just stop for a minute and let those not just be introductory words, but honestly, We live in a world, and you and I live lives that oftentimes, maybe you may say too oftentimes, are tired, empty, discouraged, confused, and scared. You can read any news outlet and see that that's true. You can have any honest conversation with a family member or a friend. You can listen to music or watch movies and know that that is true. One thing I love about the Bible is it speaks all throughout it, about that reality. In this psalm alone, it speaks of the fact that there are wicked people in the world. This psalm alone, when it gives the image of a tree being planted by streams of water, says it will bear fruit in its season, giving testimony to the fact that our lives have seasons to them that we wish we could control. We wish we could wake up and make today a... Great day, but we don't always have that within our control. There's many times that even what it seems like we should have control over, our very own soul, we, if we want to get out and be happy, have to talk to our soul like the psalmist does later in the Psalms. Why are you downcast, O my soul? The reality of our circumstances, our presence in the midst of those circumstances is really, really hard. And I love that the Bible and this psalm gives testimony to that. The reason we get discouraged, the reason we're frustrated with being tired, the reason we crave being full and not empty in our lives, the reason we ultimately don't want to be scared, we don't like any of those things, and ultimately because we want to be happy, or the first word of Psalm 1, we want to be blessed. Now when you look at that first word, there's a couple things you have to understand. One is, this word that is translated blessed or blessed, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, means happy. Here's the second thing you need to understand, is that Psalm 1 is setting the trajectory of the entire book of Psalms. This word happy is referred to over 20 times. Many people think up to 25 times in the book of Psalms, which means if Psalm 1 is setting the trajectory for the whole book of Psalms, this is a book about being happy now I recognize sitting in this room some of you are immediately attracted to that word others of you think that's a very shallow word the way the Bible defines happiness is not the way Hallmark defines happiness Hallmark cards, it's not the way it defines happiness. It speaks of a way deeper-rooted, substantial reality that's not circumstantial, but that's happiness in the midst of whatever circumstance may come our way. So at that definition of happiness, truth be told, every person that sits in this room, regardless of what they believe... Whether they're a Muslim or a Hindu, a Jew, whether you adhere to Zoroastrianism, which the bulk of people don't know what that is, or you follow Jesus. It's an amber alert on somebody's phone. A lot of them going off. Turn off your phones. On that notion, truthfully, I'm going to pray real quick about that. Father, we pray that whatever that alert is alerting us all to, that you would find this child and put him back in rightful arms. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. I got to figure out where we were. So reality is, we all want to be happy, regardless of what we believe. This is the beautiful thing about Psalm 1 and all of the Psalms and all of the Bible. Is it upholds the reality that we all want to be happy. It speaks to us of how to get there in the midst of and speaking to you in the midst of real life circumstances that are oftentimes, most oftentimes, you may say, hard. Some of you may sit in this room and go, hard? They're horrendous. They're horrific. That's the reality of the world that we live in. And yet, this psalm says we can be blessed. Now, here's the way it says we can be blessed or be happy in the midst of real life. It speaks about it specifically through location words. So look at the words that come out right away. Walking, standing, sitting, planted by streams of water, chafe that goes up in the air and gets blown away. Later down in the psalm, it's specifically speaking of standing again, standing again, knowing the way. It's all location words. Location is crucial. And it's not just crucial for real estate. When we think about real estate, we go, one of the fundamental tenets of real estate is three words in a row. What are they? Location, location, location. Location is absolutely central. It's crucial. Where one chooses... To locate oneself at any given moment makes all the difference. It isn't just true of real estate. It isn't just true of the next restaurant. Where you and I, where we choose to locate ourselves, ultimately and in any given moment, makes all the difference in the world. Now, I want to get really simple with you about Psalm 1. I have a friend of mine right now who's working for the Chicago Cubs. Love the Cubs or hate the Cubs. Truth is, they have one of the best managers in baseball, if not the best manager in baseball, named Joe Madden. Joe Madden has a line. If you don't know what a manager in baseball is, it's just a head coach. It's a word they use. So, Joe Madden has a line that my friend says he says all the time, and the line is this do simple better. Do simple better. So let's do simple better on Psalm one. Here's the simple reality, is that Psalm one is about the most basic human decision of how we live. Psalm one is about the most basic human decision of how we live. decision of whether or not our life is fueled and comes from self-determination or whether it comes from embracing God and his instruction, whether it comes from autonomy, self-determination, self-sufficiency, or utter and complete dependence. What this psalm is going to tell you is it actually has everything to do with where you locate yourself with God. So location, location, location. We have to be located in God if we want to be happy. If we want to be happy, we have to be located... In God, we have to be located toward the word and we have to be located with the community of faith, with the Christian community. So let's go at this. Located in God as opposed to located in ourselves or in any other man. I feel like every time, not every time, 90% of the time that I preach from this pulpit, I will refer to or directly quote Colossians chapter 1, which says specifically that All things, not most things, not some things, all things were created by Christ and for Christ. He then goes on to say, both the things we can see and the things that we can't see. All things were created by him and for him. And then he says this in him, in Christ. All things consist, if you don't know what the word consist means, it means all things hold together in him. So the view that comes from the Bible, if we decide to locate ourselves in God and we believe this, is that the world in which we live in and the world in which we can't see is created by God, it's sustained, upheld, that's the word consist, by God And its purpose is for God. All things were created by him. He's the creator. All things were created for him. That's the purpose. And in him all things consist. That's sustaining. This is why the apostle Paul, when he's sitting before a bunch of people who don't believe in the one true God, in Acts 17, he's at the Areopagus, said, it's in him, the one true God of whom there is no other, it's in him that we live and move, and have our being. Now, Paul was saying that to a group of predominantly non-believing people in the one true God, which would mean that goes for everybody sitting in this room, regardless of what you believe, is that generally speaking, we are moving and living and having our being in God all the time. The question is whether or not you and I recognize that. And that statement of the question is, is for believers and unbelievers alike. Our culture is moving significantly and has been for decades, if not centuries, into what scholars call secularism, which just means anti-God. And the idea was so many people believe different things about God. We need to create a state without God and then let everybody do their private stuff on their own. Well, this is really problematic if the truth is that everything was made by God, for God, and is held together by God, in God. That means fundamentally, I'm telling human beings that we're made by God and for God, whose very bodies are holding together, who's living their lives in the midst of a world that's held together, in God, a world that's for God, and a world that was created by God, eh, God doesn't really matter. So if the Bible's true in this, which it says, we're moving in him all the time, generally speaking. If we don't recognize that, and here's the key, even for Christians, don't live like that. At least we might begin to press into why our world is tired, exhausted, consistently empty, discouraged, and confused. So, generally speaking, all of human existence are living in God all the time. John Calvin has an amazing line where he says, There is not an atom of the universe which isn't screaming out about God and about how great he is. Now, if you just stop for a minute and you go, What in our world's not made up of atoms? Okay, you don't have to be a scientist to figure this out. Nothing, right? Everything's made up of atoms. So, what he's saying is, God is in the midst of everything all the time. He isn't everything. He's the creator. That's the creation. But God is here's a word that theologians and people use is imminent. He's in the midst of everything. So, one aspect of being happy is the recognition not just cognitively speaking, not to just pass a Bible test, but day in and day out is that God's in the midst of everything. He's in the midst of my arm movements. He's in the midst of what I eat and what I drink. He's in the midst of where I walk and how I talk. He's in the midst of all of the people, generally speaking. That's not entirely. It's a part of what I'm talking about, about being located in God. But this passage speaks about being located in God, that that's where the blessed one, the blessed man or woman sits in God like a tree who plants by streams of water, whose roots go deep down and then draw upon that life. And therefore, because they're drawing upon the water, can bear its fruit in its season. That being located in God means a recognition that God's everywhere, but it means specially and significantly you are building your life on a foundation of solid ground like Jesus talks about. The man who builds his house on solid ground, which is God and his son Jesus, is very different than the one who builds their life on sand. Why is that ground solid ground? Because it's built among, among fundamentally around reality, God himself, the creator, sustainer and purpose of all things of whom you and I are a part of the creation being made by and for him. So he's saying be like a tree, the blessed one, the happy one in the midst of seasons. He's saying happiness isn't on the basis of your circumstances; it's a substantial, rooted happiness that's drawing upon water. The image of water throughout the Bible, time and time and time again, living water, is spoken of fundamentally as God. Jesus says, "I've come and I have living water. I am." He then says, "I am the bread of life." That these sustaining elements of living water and Him is where we develop our life, that fundamentally the happy person is the dependent person, the righteous person, well, how does God define righteousness? Because he says, specifically, the blessed man is one who delights in the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Then he relates the blessed man to the righteous in verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. And righteousness is contrasted with wickedness. So what's the wicked man? Well, he says, the righteous man, the happy man or woman is not the one who walks in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. This word scoffers communicates what he's getting at and what the wicked one is. The wicked one is a scoffer. What is a scoffer? A scoffer is one who is unteachable, who believes they are apt and able to teach themselves. I got it covered. I don't need outside help, I don't need your help. I scoff at those who do. Ah, they need a crutch. Oh, they're needy. The wise, happy person is one who fundamentally knows and believes themselves deep enough to go, one, I'm a creature, not the creator, therefore I am needy. I'm needy upon the one who made me and I'm needy for all of those who he made me to live in connection with my neighbors in such a way that I can become who I am. So fundamentally, the happy, righteous person is one who lives in utter dependence where the wicked person lives in autonomy. This word autonomous is hard because in our culture, people love that word. Oh, it's a good thing to be autonomous. You know what autonomous means if you break down the word? What does auto mean? If you get an automatic car, It self-shifts. doesn't need outside shifter. It self-shifts. Auto means self. Autonomy, nomos, which is the end of that word, means law. You know what autonomy means? Self-law. I am a law unto myself. Now, if you were here before the Titus series, we taught the book of Judges. And if you read the book of Judges, when you see people that are autonomous that are a self-law, self-standard, the results are catastrophic and horrific because everybody does what's right in their own eyes. Those are the foolish, the wicked people of the Bible, the ones who seek to do it all themselves, but the wise, happy people live into their created existence as creatures and go, I am in utter dependence 24 hours a day, 7 days a week upon God. They recognize it, and they live into and out of their dependence. Psalm 1, as we said, sets the trajectory for all of the book of Psalms. Did you know that in the book of Psalms, there are more direct statements about God than in any other book in either the Old or New Testament in the Bible? There's more direct statements about God. So you could say pretty simply, what Psalms about God. And it's about human beings' interaction with God in the midst of the real world. So what does that mean to locate ourselves in God? It means attending constantly to God. It means attending to him all the time. In the moments we're not attending to him, not just feeling guilty, but praying, God, I'm so utterly dependent upon you. I need you to remind me of you. Because everything in the world is going to pull you away from God. Everything in the midst, there is an enemy who's trying to pull you away from God. Everything in our world pulls you away from God. We have to constantly attend to God, to his teaching, and to doing, living what he says. That's fundamentally the happy person, is they understand their dependence. They take God at who he truly is. Therefore, they take his instruction seriously. All the time. So we understand the when. The when is always. When are we to locate ourselves in God? Well, on a real level, we're always in God at a general level. But at a special, specific level is the moment your whole life, faith, the Bible calls this, is rooted in the streams of God. And then and only then will we prosper, it says. And he, everything he does, he prospers or thrives And he says he thrives, she thrives, in the midst of every season. I want to say this again. I love, love, love about the Bible, and I love about the Psalms, how real they are. He's acknowledging to you, there are times where you feel like you're going to freeze to death, and there are times when you feel like you're going to melt. And I don't just mean when you walk out the doors, I mean In the circumstances of your life, I can't withstand the heat. That's why we use these terms. I'm in the furnace. Or my heart and life feels frigid. You feel blinded. The Bible uses this terminology all the time because it knows and understands real life. And the Bible would say to us, the reason. There's cold and hot seasons. There's reasons why at times we feel like we're dying because of our circumstances. Is that Sin is real fundamentally because we've been disconnected from the life source. Especially speaking, the way in which we connect ourselves to the life source is through Jesus. That's why the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which we may get reconnected, saved than at the name of Jesus. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved in this given moment but Jesus. So the when is always. Now the question is how. If we're to locate ourselves in God always, how do we do it? Location, location, location. Secondly, we must be located toward the word. We must be located toward the word. The blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his, that's God's law, he meditates day and night. Now, let's get honest with each other. When we read that, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. For most of us, we read that and we go, that sounds really religious. And then if I go, well, tell me what you mean by that. If you're being honest with yourself, you say, it sounds like really self-righteous and pompous. And then if you're really honest, you go, it just sounds boring. Like night and day meditating on God's word. And then this sense that then you might feel really guilty. Or if you're just really honest, you're like delights, like delights in God's word. Is that really, like, do people really delight in it? I had a buddy of mine um, who I've known for 20 years, um, who in the past couple years has, by his own admission, said he's come to Jesus in faith. And he said to me, what's weird, though, man, is I don't think I'm ever going to be that person that's just, like, in the Bible all the time. And what he meant by that is, is I don't know if I can live up to that standard, and honestly, I don't even know if I want to. (laughs) It doesn't sound that invigorating to me, but the Bible and here in the book of Psalms, if you said, but true happiness, substantial happiness rests in the one who delights in God's word. And then you read these statements about the one who delights in God's word and meditates on it is like a tree who's planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, according to its season. Life has seasons. And its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. Let's stop there. In all he he or she does, they prosper. Now, many of us in the United States totally misunderstand the word prosper because we think of it only in material terms. This means whole life thriving. To say it just means material or even fundamentally material, is way too shallow for what this means. This means a whole life coming alive. A flowering is just the beginning. A full flourishing is what this is. It's thriving. Now, here's how I know human beings, including my friend, want to thrive. Walk into any bookstore on Amazon and look at the number of people that are buying books on self-thriving or self Actualization or buying books on how to prosper. But here it says prospering is directly related to the one who meditates on God's word day and night. And in our culture, many people would go, God seems much more intriguing in Jesus than his word does. But so you know, this the Bible communicates the word of God as like the other side of the coin with God himself. Just after the last service, there's a man in this congregation who came up who's written a little devotional. And he said, did you know in the book of Psalms two times the word we are called to praise the word of God? That's really interesting. But in the Bible, the word of God and God are like two sides of the same coin. Even the statement, the word of God, when God sends his son into the world who's fully God and fully man, he calls Jesus the word of God. When he goes about bringing life into those of us who are blind, those of us who can't hear, those of us who don't live, even called dead in Ephesians, when he brings life to us and says in John 10, 10 I came to give you life and give it to you to the full, almost that we're born again. First Peter says that we're born again by the living and the abiding word of God. So in the end, what does this mean? Well, one author spoke about this, that the psalmist was a Jew. The Torah was the law. He says this, the Torah is so centrally important that Torah, law, has become a surrogate of the Lord. The means in which the Lord delivers himself. Both Calvin and Luther, great reformers, says Christ comes to us clothed in the scriptures. So these moments where we go, I like God, but I don't know about his word, or I don't really delight in it, honestly is like saying to your really close friend, your really close family member, maybe your spouse or your children, I really like you, but I don't want to be around you. I really like you, but just don't talk. There's people in here looking like, that's the phrase I've been looking for our whole marriage, right? Like, I like you, just be quiet, shut your mouth, right? The the problem with that, though, is communication. Words are what bring about connection. God, think about this. God so wants to be connected with us that he sends his word and sends his words so that we might be invited into him. That if we want to be located in God, we must be located toward his word as the means to get into him. The word of God is the surrogate. It is the mechanism in which we commune and experience God. So if we are to engage God, we must engage the word of God. The founding pastor of this church used to always say, we study the word of God to know the God of the word. So I'll say it like this with engagement. If we want to engage God, we must engage his word. And when you and I and we engage the word of God, we must realize we engage the word of God to engage the God of the word. You want relationship, you want engagement, you want union with God, engage his word. He speaks livingly and actively through his word. So very practically, I want you to understand, no time in the history of the world and in no country do we have accessibility to the word of God like we have now. There's a bookstore right over there. If you want a Bible and you don't have one, we will give you one for free. Walk over there and tell them. Maybe not a nice leather one like this, but you'll get a Bible, which is the words of God. If you have a phone, or you have a tablet, or you have a computer, there is an app called Uversion that there are multiple organizations who partnered together to bring us literally every translation of the Bible you could possibly want and hundreds of reading plans. With reminders to pop up up in your phone to make a noise, not as long, but like that amber alert that just went off, that will say to you, God's wanting to en- you to engage with him. Read. There are reading plans on there that are three days, five days, all the way up into a year. There are reading plans that you could read through the whole Bible in a year. Or if you go, that's terrifying to me. I could never do that. There's a study you could do on anxiety from the word through a reading plan. (laughs) Like whatever that is, it's there sitting in front of you. And if you don't forget when we talk about this, oh, they're supposed to talk to us about the word of God. Yes, because we're supposed to talk to you about God because you're made for him. And you can engage him through a simple tool like that. Here's another, is that the Bible and prayer go together all the time. And one of the things that makes this statement on delighting in the word of God that's here in Psalm 1 so difficult is so often we don't, right? I don't. So one of the things I was taught almost a decade ago by a guy who at the time was a pastor in Minneapolis, Minnesota, named John Piper, continues to teach now, is an acronym This is an acronym that doesn't spell a word. Paul Artino told me he caught like the second or third letter, and he's like, what word does this spell? It's not a word. But you know how there's IOUs, like you owe somebody something, you write them an IOU? Here's the acronym, I-O-U-S. It's a prayer, I-O-U-S, four things you can pray prior to engaging the scriptures. The I is this. They all come directly from the word, actually directly from the Psalms. The first one is, incline my heart, that's the I, incline my heart to your word, O Lord. I love the prayer because it recognizes and confesses my heart oftentimes is not inclined to your word. It also recognizes the utter dependence that we don't have the power to incline our own hearts to the word, but we need God to do it. God, would you incline my heart to your word? The O is open my eyes to behold wonderful things from your law, wonderful things from your word. The recognition of that is that I'm going to go to the Bible and miss all kinds of things. God, open my eyes to the wonders. Some of those are facts, but just the wonders of your word open my eyes. So I is inclined, O is open. You, unite my heart to fear your name. Unite it. Recognition, my heart is fractured and my loves are going all kinds of other places. Unite my heart to love you with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my strength so that I might love my neighbors as myself. Incline, open, unite. Then the last one is satisfy me with your steadfast love. If I pray those, incline, open, Unite, satisfy, then I might begin to walk in and watch the living God through his living word make me one who delights in his law and begins to mutter it, meditate on it day and night, mutter it and meditate on it day and night. And as that routine begins to happen, even if it's little bits each day, little drips each day, I'll begin to find I am More and more, the happy human who's living in utter dependence upon God. Locating myself in God by locating ourselves towards the word. And lastly, locating ourselves with the community of faith. That means locating ourselves with the righteous. This says this, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, which means the righteous will stand in the judgment. The wicked will not stand... Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, which means the righteous will stand with each other. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That statement there in verse 5, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, means we must locate ourselves with the righteous. Let me make a statement to all of you as individuals, all of you as friends, all of you as family members, all of you as children, all of you as parents. Who you are with is what you're becoming. Who you hang around with, who you position and locate yourself is who you're becoming. You want to know where you'll be in a year from now, in two months from now? Look who you're around. The Bible says this all over the place. This is why there's a warning in the wisdom literature of the book of Proverbs that says, bad company corrupts good morals. The inverse of that is true. Good company spurs us on, like the book of Hebrews says, to greater love and good deeds. Who you surround yourself determines who you are and who you are becoming. The Bible's not the only place that recognizes this. Modern-day science, when they're studying the brain like crazy, are coming to recognitions that socialization, meaning who you socialize with, who you're around, who your friends are, is so powerful even more powerful that they're starting to question whether or not addictions are actually chemical dependencies Or more about who I'm surrounding myself with on an ongoing time. Which means the health and healing of an addiction is to transfer communities in which healthy people get around you. Or people that have struggled with trauma, they they go, they need to get in loving environments. And the people need to not expect them immediately to be healthy. But need to know how to love in the midst of horror and pain that these people have gone through. That they don't even know how to respond to loving community. But you know how they learn to begin to learn how to respond to loving community? By being around it. I say this to my wife all the time. Like, you, you know how you begin to eat better? Read about eating better. You want to know how it's even better? Start putting good food in the house and eating at healthy restaurants around healthy people. You want to get fit? Start hanging out with fit people and reading about it. You want to get happy? Get around God and get around the people of God. Unite with them. We need people to be with us in these real seasons of life. That's why Paul talks in Romans to rejoice with those who rejoice. We need people when things are horrific and horrendous to sit with us and watch us weep tears and be with us. We need people to be around that when we are about to go off the path to go, that's not the way, that's not the way to life and can correct us to get us back on path. We need people that when we're celebrating, celebrate with us, just like that C.S. Lewis quote that Paul said. We need that. We need people to be with us in the real seasons. We need to locate ourselves with the people of God if we're going to be located in God, which is the only way to substantial rooted happiness that's worthy of the word happiness. To locate ourselves in God, we must locate ourselves towards the word And with the community of faith. Let's pray. Father, we love you and praise you. God, I pray that we would be a people who live up to being the people of God, and we confess to you that we're not uh, far, far too often. I am not, and my family's not, and our church is not the people that rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So God, make us those people. And at the same time, make us humble enough to know we're all on this journey together of utter and complete dependence upon you, recognizing our failures, but realizing you are our strength. God, let us serve in the strength that you supply. In Jesus' name, amen.